Welcome to season three of Something Different This Way Comes, imagining the kindness economy. Rooted in and set in Thunder Bay within the global economy, today I imagine the impact of kinder storytelling industries, teaching, selling, entertaining, and connecting us. Something different this way comes something Something different Something different Something different this way comes something Something different Something different I've written you a song and I'll sing another by Joni Mitchell for you today But first, here's a story to consider about who we are and and how we fit within our home, this small blue planet. This planet was once a hot rock mostly covered in lifeless water. Then plants, teeny tiny plants evolved in that water and they started burping out the beginnings of a breathable atmosphere. The first living things to colonize the exposed surface rock in that thin air were lichen a miraculous marriage of fungus and algae. And the molecules directly next to their surface lichen create their own atmosphere and climate. And slowly, an atom at a time, lichen started to build both soil and air, the algae parts capturing the energy of sunlight, the fungus elements breaking down the minerals within the solid rock. It makes the miracle of loaves and fishes look almost paltry in comparison. Lichen turned light into life and rock into living, giving soil. Until larger plants followed to root in the earth that the lichen had built and add to the air they exhaled. And then animals who flourished among the plants, eating them and and building a deeper, richer skin of life on this planet a more nourishing air, a greater wealth and diversity of life. When we die as earthlings, and as we live and digest other living things, the circle of life doesn't just trade, but actually deepens life. There's ups and downs. There have been extinctions, more than one, eras. But on average, the thin skin of life on this planet has deepened over time. And this continues Into this latest second in Earth's evolution, this very recent time in which we're a part of that life. By and large, like all the rest of life, people add to the deepening and enriching life on this planet. With the grace of consciousness, we help mindfully. We harvest and choose how to do the things we do so that more of what we eat grows, more of what we use flourishes. Take, for example, the Great Plains, home to more ruminant grazing animals than all the cows now on the continent that we raise currently to feed us beef and milk. The great buffalo herds outnumbered all of those animals. They were more plenteous, not despite, but because of their relationship with people who did not fence them in, who valued them, followed them, paid attention to them, left them to be who they are, and supported them, harvested without waste, 
and with care not to deplete this valued relative. As humans flourished on this planet, we laughed. We loved to connect and to work together, to find new solutions, to teach one another, to build relationships with other humans and with our land and with the other life we shared that space and place with. And we moved a lot. If you look at any images of the earth, images that are studying weather patterns or the movement of carbon or the movement of temperatures, there's a lot of breathing in and breathing out and exchange in the way that this planet works as a whole. And we too moved a lot as humans, each in our own way and our own connection to our own land. And as we moved, we left a trace often, not always, but a greater diversity and health and depth of life. There were times though, like most other species, we fell out of balance. And as we have gained capacity and numbers, the devastation of times when we are out of balance is coming to a crisis point. We know this. Half of the excess carbon emitted into our atmosphere from fossil fuels being burned, also from forests and other landscapes being depleted and giving up the carbon they'd long captured. Half of that crisis has happened in the last 30 years, within our lifetimes, within our, our watch. It started earlier, yes, but it's, it's built up speed so that half of it's happened in the last 30 years. When we go out of balance, that movement of people becomes one not of, of spreading diversity and deepening life, but of extraction, eviction, colonization, and a continuation of the mistakes that likely led to the depletion of our homelands in the first place. But the time of colonization, the time of fossil fuel combustion, is quickly coming to its end. The kindness economy is coming. And in the kindness economy, humanity's grace and generosity rises up to rebuild and restore, to remember how to live in connection with and balance with this skin of life that we are a part of. In all its overwhelming diversity and uncontrolled proliferation, rebuilding our relationship with the living things, seen and unseen, that nourish us applying our great capacity to notice and adapt, to help and support, to restore the carbon-capturing superpower that is life on Earth, the miraculous, marvelous, thin skin of life on our planet. This is the moral of our story. It comes from consumption. I've seen it outside my front door. Mindful, managed consumption can be a gift. Our house here is surrounded by pastures that have not been grazed except by the odd deer for almost two decades, maybe more. And in that time, they've become spotty. They've gotten sparse. They've turned into tufted hillocks of strangled grasses, marooned between barren spots of earth, and the bush on the edges creeping in one seedling at a time choking out the grasses as anthills grow into towers. At least, that was what was happening when I moved here. And then four years ago, our neighbor started bringing his beef cattle to graze these pastures. He'd wait until the grass was tall enough in the spring, 
and then be sure to move them off a pasture before they overgrazed. And the cows definitely made an impression. They'd stomp, they'd, they'd chew up all the, the, the plants, they'd eat and poop and pee, and, and they loved to knock down anthills and roll on them. But all of that interaction with the land did not devastate, but in fact has enriched those pastures around my house in just four years. I guess the stomping and the rolling breaks up the earth. It lets water soak into places that didn't have it as much. The grass where the grazed leaves are, are, are snapped off by the chewing cows, that actually encourages and, and enriches the plant. The roots snap off when the tops are snapped off, and that captures carbon in the earth and enriches the soil for other things. And then the plant sprouts anew uh, in, in a broader base. So gradually all those barren spots are filled in, and the seeds are spread and nourished, and the diversity grows. A pasture is not a lawn. It has so much more going on. But a pasture needs its mammals. It needs grazing ruminants. They benefit as well. And those ruminants benefit from human care and support. We are partners in our health. I was listening to the CBC's What on Earth, one of their very recent episodes. They talked about when the National Grasslands Park was created in southern Saskatchewan. They, they bought the land from ranchers who'd been using it to graze their cattle. And then they set up studies to see how the land would rebound compared to the still-grazed neighboring farms. And the scientists were surprised. Their thesis was not proven. In fact, it was soundly disproven. The species on the park side, no longer grazed, disappeared. The land there lost diversity and resilience when there were no ruminants grazing on it anymore. Those that could did migrate out of the park back to the neighboring farms, and the farms did not lose an equal amount of diversity. It was not about the weather or the species or anything. It was about an interaction, a codependency between animals and their land, including the people thoughtfully caring for those animals and that land. The park, once they figured out what was going on, went back to the rangers and said, I think we'd like you to graze again. We'd also like to pick your brains. Tell us how you know when it's time to bring in animals to graze and how you know when it's time to encourage them to move on. Share with us what you know of this land as land keepers. I also listened this week to an episode of Ideas on CBC about transhumans all about the places in the world where people moved with their animals seasonally to manage the grazing, the birthing, the seasons, to be where they needed to be when they needed to be there. And what we lose when we discourage, when we stop valuing that kind of organic, moving relationship across our landscapes. I think about migrating herds and all the places where that's a part of culture so I listened to a great episode of the Blind Boy podcast where he talked about all the ways that culture was captured and deepened through the transhumans culture traditional to Ireland from before their colonization. I also think about borders and, and about citizenship, which are actually really very recent notions and that have clearly, in my mind, proven to have greater cost and risk than benefits. So... In the kindness economy, our stories will build on our shared values. That's what I imagine. 
on our shared goals, on our shared humanity. We will trust more that a person will move for good reason, that an idea given has got good backing, that mistakes can be rectified, and that innovation can be allowed to happen, even if you can't track it all. Even if it's diversity and and creativity is a little bit hard to wrap your head around, like the depth of life in a healthy ecosystem is more than we poor humans can even perceive all by ourselves. Breaking our habits, born of invasion and accumulation, extraction and unsustainable lack of relationship with our planet, and pouring love instead and trust into our way of living and doing what we do where we are. That story is rooted in Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kammerer and Humankind by Rutger Bregman, two of the books I reference most often on this podcast. It's also inspired by the episode called Maid of Honor, featuring psychologist Ryan Brown, I heard recently on the podcast Hidden Brain, as well as all the things I already referenced in that telling. I'll put links to them all on the homepage for this episode. You can find more from my Library of Hope at www.somethingdifferentthiswaycomes.cd. You can also sign up for my newsletter for the stories behind the recordings that I send out weekly during each season. You can listen to past episodes, such as the launch of Season 2 from last fall called Ground Level Lessons, which has more of my thoughts on sustainable and unsustainable land management cultures in Canada's prairies. If you haven't heard that one yet, you can find it there. And you can donate to me through the GoFundMe link you'll find on the homepage. If you enjoy this podcast, if you find it entertaining or good company, and you can afford to pay for a a beer or a cup of coffee, something like that monthly, I would really welcome your donation. Something Different This Way Comes is is really independent. (laughs) I have no sponsors per se, no funding, nobody behind it but me and my wallet and my listeners who choose to contribute for whatever reasons they have. I detail the programs I pay for monthly in order to record and edit, to broadcast and produce the show, as well as any contributions I receive. You can find all that on the webpage. And I have to do a shout out to uh, Pauline Samashima. She named me Artist in Residence this year as curator of the Lakehead Arts Integrated Research Gallery. And um, that was $3,000 that has really helped finance the podcast going into this season. What a lovely boon that was. And what an honor. But really, every dollar donated is a boon and an honor. I do say I do this alone, and mostly I do, but I rely on the generosity and insight of my family, who give me time and space and ideas, and Leah McKay, who is the graphic artist behind this podcast, as well as my secret social media promoter. Stories. They're important. how we wrap our head around things. Picking a storyline out of the mind-boggling diversity of the whole of things. Choosing a frame. 
Storytelling is, is at the heart of politics and marketing, journalism, and, and science. I think of Bob McDonald on CBC's Quirks and Quarks. He, I mean, I think he is so good. He is so good at translating the language and perspective of a specialist deep in their particular corner of science into a simile, a story, until it suddenly all makes sense. The tell is how the scientist is, is always delighted to be so clearly translated, understood, to be gifted with this way of, of telling the story of their insights so that others can understand it. We are a storytelling species. We need stories to translate information into knowledge. And, and in the kindness economy, I imagine, all of those specialists would have the support of more storytellers to help them talk to one another and bounce off one another, collaborate and coordinate and really make the most of, of their great big bodies of work. I feel like there's a division between spheres of, of intellectual pursuit that in the kindness economy we will bridge more effectively. Not only between academics and specialists and scientists, but also between us as a whole, so we can all be richer in our daily opportunities to learn. Because we know that learning is a happiness buzz. When you figure something out, when you, when you get a new piece of information, you get happy. It makes you feel good. It'll be a wonderful part of the new economy when we all know that learning was not something we were obliged to do and, and judged upon in our childhood and then happy to leave behind, but something we all get to dip into and grow on and, and contribute to throughout our lives. In the kindness economy also, the power and the impact of storytelling will be wielded with greater skill and accountability because it is powerful and it has tripping hazards. For example, fear. You know, fear is the hook. It's the button pushed all the time in advertising, in politics, in division-creating, sensation-making efforts to skew our understanding and, and shape our opinions and positions. Fear does catch our attention, but it also makes us vulnerable to manipulation as we freeze or flee or, or, or fight in its face. So in the kindness economy, I think we will treat gently and expect professionals to be very skillful at managing those fear buttons so they are not triggered. And our whole head is left available to us. Kind of like how you'd expect a dinner to be served by an Alcoholics Anonymous leader who wants to serve a toast. There may be glasses raised, absolutely, but alcohol will probably not be in them. Thinking about how we tell stories now, about how the storytelling economies are are not always pushing the buttons that I think are helpful and needed. That song by Joni Mitchell keeps coming to mind. Every picture has its shadows And it has some source of light Blindness, blindness and sight The perils of benefactors 
the blessings of parasites. Blindness, blindness and sight. Threatened by all things, devil of cruelty. Drawn to all things, devil of delight. Mythical devil of the ever-present laws, governing blindness, blindness and sight. There's so much in there. We're blind to what we don't look for. A rule that is binary, a law that is black and white, misses a lot that is gray and changing and not yet thought of, but possible. And oh my, the blessings of parasites are not all our dependents, all those who can't contribute as much as others when it comes to work or income. They could be considered parasites, our children, our elders, our loved ones. But oh, they are blessings. We know that. And the delight is a, as a little devil. But cruelty is a devil. And, and when we feel threatened, it provokes us to cruelty. So kindness takes courage and security. Threatened by all things, God of cruelty, drawn to all things, God of delight, mythical God of the everlasting laws, governing day, day and night. Governing wrong, wrong and right. That's the amazing Joni Mitchell. Shadows and Light from her album The Hissing of Summer Lawns. You can also find it, though, on an album by Kermaha Women's Choir from Montreal, with whom I was singing when we recorded it back in 1998. And I remember the conversations we had. What did those lyrics mean? And they've stuck with me. I think of them often when I think of the stories we tell, the frames we put ourselves in, the storylines we pick out and what we leave out, and why, and how we cling to, to simplified storylines as if they could provide comfort in a complicated world when, in fact, the more we can embrace the complexity and, and opportunities and diversity of it all, the more at peace we are with our own complexities and opportunities and failings and successes and diversities. In the kindness economy, we, we no longer tell stories of heroes and villains. That kind of binary thinking, and boy, is that a rabbit hole for me. There's a whole episode on the topic of non-binary thinking you can hear in season two. But that binary thinking is, is protected against. There will be villainous acts, but not villains. Heroic acts, but not heroes. 
challenges overcome, but not winners per se. I was playing Monopoly with with Sam and a friend, and uh, we had quite the conversation about games that have winners, where most players therefore are losers. Monopoly, apparently, was designed to kind of give people a, a second take, almost as a as a parody of of the capitalist world where the more you have the greater advantage unfair advantage you really have the harder it is for others to get by when things are unevenly divided and yet what it seems to teach us is all how to you know read the rules carefully so we can get away with whatever it takes to get that advantage and be the winner in a competitive game i don't think that's how our souls are fed i think when I look at what, what games Ben and Sam love to play and, and race to get to at the end of the day, they are not binary. They are not winners. It is work made playful. Work with clear rules, yes, and, and, and you get to progress and acquire skills and friends and connections and accomplishments, but nobody loses, really. And it's very social. There's so many ways you connect with people in these games that they love. It makes me look at the way that we structure work and the way we tell the story of our lives in the so-called real world. What could we learn from those more positive play places that people turn to so often in online games to make us happier and more effective and more efficient and motivated in the way that we do what we do in our everyday? Let's get into the nitty-gritty of storytelling industries of the kindness economy. I am imagining here. So obviously, obviously, in the kindness economy, the wild, wild west of manipulation and deception currently sickening our online spaces would be solved. It might still be rotting in spaces few would then visit, but most of us would spend our online time 100% sure we know who we're dealing with and that the information we find is 100% true. I mean, I was a fact checker. There's no such thing as 100% true, but there is such a thing as well-verified, well-backed up, well-referenced. And 100% true means worthy of, open to being, revisited, revised, and improved upon as more information becomes available. Anyone who tries to convince you that our current online world, an industry based on data mining and identity profiling, can't manage that is blowing smoke up your ass. That's, that's the fact of it. So I'm not going to spend much time on this. This is going to be solvable. It will be solved. In the kindness economy, what's online is true. It's proven. Who's talking, you know. It's verifiable. And they are accountable for what they say and how they behave. It's, it's like all the other communication technologies that predated online, only better because it's a stronger media. I think of Estonia. In Estonia, the government is tasked with protecting and coordinating your personal information, a lot of it. You have a single number, that's your identity number, and it gets you everything from on a bus, it pays for your bus ticket, to filing your taxes, to making sure that your full and comprehensive medical history is pulled up whenever you need medical care, 
and protecting it and ensuring that that your identity cannot be stolen, that's the government's number one job. And you know what? They do a great job of it. They do a great job of it. And they also do a great job of cutting out of the way an enormous amount of work and headache and risk that, that somehow in most of the rest of the world right now we have to deal with. So Estonia, you lead the way. Just Google Estonia and um, personal identification and you'll see what I'm talking about. So is the truth. You know, once we flip around those algorithms that currently manipulate our online experience to influence and market to us into using that power for verification and information sharing excellence, oof, whoa, what an impact that'll make on, on what we can do and how we do it and how easily and efficiently and effectively. With those basic principles entrenched, I imagine us using our online spaces more actively, more like Ben and Sam, creating new ideas, collaborating actively, being supported with the information we need, and let free to just go out and see how we can be of use. I mean, we think of it as a passive place. I think for Arno and I of a different generation, we're more likely to, to consume and scroll. and um, But once it's all hardcore, honest, and true... And we're given permission to get out there and do what we want to do. How effective at knitting communities together, neighborhoods together, at bridging between specializations and pulling in relevant information when needed, that our online superpower will be. And another part of that, the storytelling of sales and marketing. I've been trained in this often. It's the one that most often uh, picks the brains of specialists on human behavior and socialization and even demographics. And what strikes me is people really want to be of service. I mean, Ben and Sam looking for games they can be useful in, learn things through. That's what, that's what gives them those happiness bursts. So if we took away this idea of, of tricking or manipulating people to buying or being marketed things they don't need and change the story of our species to be one that is wise, that is working together to save our world. That means cutting away all waste, building on trust and truth. Then the salesperson becomes a service person. They have the solution or they can figure out the solution. They see a way to get what's needed where it's needed. And I think we'd all be happier with that. I really do. I also think life would be a lot simpler with more trust. I think if we built on the science of how trustworthy we all are, how thoroughly we can learn from our mistakes and do better, and how wasteful it is to both harass people with insecurity, try to motivate them with risk, doesn't work. It doesn't work. And it burns people out. It makes them unwell. Change that. Pull it out of our, our society and our, the stories we tell each other about each other. And instead, give everybody another chance, the support they need, the care they need. How many more people, how many more hands in the field will we have? I look outside at that beautifully rebuilt pasture with a bit of human intervention and attention. And I also am surrounded by a, a wealth of infrastructure, barns and fences and a deep well and a beautiful sauna. 
infrastructure that we, as a, as a middle-class family with, with money and education, are hard-pressed to maintain. Infrastructure that was built in the 1930s by recent refugee immigrants without much education or money or connection here, no political influence. But when people walked up that laneway looking for, for food or shelter, they would offer them a job and a place to stay. I mean, it might be a hayloft or, you know, a bench in the sauna, but it'd be better than nothing. And when they could contribute, whatever they contributed was, was welcomed and appreciated. And all those extra people, I don't know how many there were here, I don't know what their back history was, but boy, I can see what they got done. What they learned how to do, what they traded for, what they accomplished. With, with all the billions of us being freed and trusted to do what we can do, what could we accomplish? How quickly? That is the kindness economy that, that I love to daydream about. And it is a daydream. I don't know exactly how we'll get there. I do know it won't be with a, a few sweeps of a paintbrush that solves it all in a, in a single hue. It will be more diverse than the rainbow under a microscope. It will be busier than a beehive at honey flow. It will be many solutions, a mind-boggling array applied at once, not all of which will work but all of which we can learn from if we are humble enough to let everybody take their part. So in the kindness economy, we will celebrate our capacities to welcome and include, to contribute and learn. We will assume that everyone it's got to be okay. There are so many cultures for whom this story is a centerpiece. The story of it is not what you contribute, but how your community fares as a whole. That is the value you track. It is not the success of the few, but the success of the most vulnerable by which you are judged to welcome the stranger. Those are the stories we need to give one another. And I can imagine in our entertainment world and our political world, the impact of speaking on those terms, of setting those expectations, of imagining those aspirational goals. Because if we first imagine and give people a, an idea of how it might work, the odds that they'll then make it work are so much better. So I actually write letters. You know, I, I tell you, I suffer a bit of insomnia and I wake up in the middle of the night and sometimes I, I listen to podcasts or I read books or I write in my diary or I write this podcast or I write songs. And sometimes I write letters to strangers like players in Hollywood that I think might have the influence and the inclination to like my idea and suggestion that they push for more aspirational uh, imagined worlds, not just dystopias to discourage us from continuing our current ways, but aspirational imaginings of what good looks like, what solutions might be in action in actual specific places. So actually specifically here in Thunder Bay in the kindness economy, 
There's no homelessness. There's more connections. There's no hunger. There's more shared meals. And there's lots more celebration and laughter as this landscape, which we have devastated by our choices in many ways, we actively replenish and restore and enjoy more of a living relationship with. Because we love to solve problems that makes us happy. We love to make a difference, to be included and valued part of a team. We flourish and we just get more done when we feel safe and secure. Insecurity is not an actual motivator. No, we manage to pull things off when we're scared despite our fear. When we can focus on right now what we can do in this moment, that'll be welcome, and have confidence that what we do next might be different. It doesn't matter. We'll be okay. What energy that gives you. What capacity to just get out and get her done. A change is as good as a rest. That's a saying in my family. And in the kindness economy, I imagine. That's a principle as well. So time now for your song. Written for you today. The stories we tell can feed heaven or hell. They can teach, they can sell. Connect or Can feed her. 
connect or divide on the stories we economy on stories we ride stories feeding connecting and directing us an industry that's accountable and and reliably true and helpful whether educating translating bridging or entertaining us helping people collaborate and coordinate as we all pitch in to rebuild and renew the places we live in. Our neighborhoods and our one and only planet. Inspiring one another. Tracking our some progress towards our goal of regaining climate balance and, and a kinder economy. Supporting our successes by our own hands building our relationships to the, the places we live. Something different this way comes something. Something different, something different. Something different this way comes something. Something different, something different. be back next week.